You're listening to the podcast of Dr. Chip Bennett. Please consider following us and giving us a rating wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Tell me what you see is what you do being an apologist. What does that mean to somebody who's watching? Who There may be some that go, well, I know exactly what that means because I watch these guys. What does that mean to just somebody who's casually watching this? So when, what it means for us in a very academic sort of sense to be an apologist is uh, someone who gives a defense or to defend something. So often it's been used as a negative term. You know, like you might say, well, he's a Bush apologist. And what you meant was during Bush's presidency, this guy's just going to defend him no matter what, right? So it's kind of got a negative term. And then, of course, some people jokingly think it sounds like you're apologizing professionally for the gospel, right? Sure. Um, so, but it's not that. It's to defend something. And as Christian apologists, we think that we're following in the tradition of Paul in Acts 17, where he reasons with Greek philosophers mm-hmm. uh, uh, toward one true God who raised a man from the dead and is judging the world. And then, of course, 1 Peter 3.15, which, which talks about being able to give a defense, be ready and willing always to give a defense. And so that's what it means for us. But we cash it out different. We, we, we try, and you do too. We all three have different ways of doing that, I think. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's going to look a lot like the straightforward, here's an objection, here's a response to it. What I think I want to do is to be an evangelist, is to use this mm-hmm. to share with people why it's reasonable to be a Christian so that they would be a Christian. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit has to do that work, but uh, he may use the means of apologetics. So, I, But they cash it out a little differently, so that's what's fun about this. Well, I, I, lo- I love that in the culture it has negative connotation because it means people underestimate me. Oh, he's just an apologist. And this has happened where people okay. people have said, hey, you're going to debate this guy. And what, what should I tell him about you? Just tell him I'm a Christian apologist. And I feel like when I've done that, a lot of times my opponent has showed up unprepared because they assume I'm just not going to be that intelligent. And I end up feeling like I do pretty well in the debate. But for me, it means that, mm-hmm. um, uh, it means that uh, I have come to the conclusion Christianity is true. And I'm going to defend my worldview. We're all apologists for our own worldview in some mm-hmm. way. I'm just willing to take the label. Interesting. Yeah. And for me, I I just try to, uh, again, like a defense, you know, of your faith. And um, I just want to answer the questions and address the questions that people are asking in culture. So that's where my focus is at. Mm-hmm. So okay. whatever people are using to dismiss Christianity or say it's not true, those are things that I want to kind of respond to. And then... Um, reasons for why we embrace Christianity is another thing. How important is what you guys are doing? How important is it? Extremely, extremely important, especially in today when a lot of churches have embraced an anti-intellectual approach mm-hmm. and just try to focus only on emotions. Mm-hmm. Not that that's bad, but when you only do that, it's wrong. So it's very important that they see people giving an intellectual side to Christianity, showing that it does, it has not been refuted, that the evidence does support this worldview. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's extremely important, especially in today's hyper-skeptical culture. Do you see what you guys do as being vitally important? Yeah, um, the revelation of how important it is happens all at once for different people. For example, I was speaking in Texas, and an older woman was there who didn't think she had any use for apologetics, but she paid attention. That that night she found out that her grandson was an atheist. Okay. And she signed up for an apologetics program at our school the next day. Okay. So I think people realize how important it is when When the moment comes. It's funny you say that because the... um, lady who cuts my hair goes to um, Grace, and we were talking about the fact she'd come to see one of the academic nights that we did, and um, not someone who normally would go to an academic night, but she said, my girls were at a camp, and somebody tried to convince them that they should actually be worshiping 
Greek mythological gods, <laughs> which was, I was sort of like, does anybody even do that? But, but, <laughs> yeah, the, but yeah. the point is, at that moment, the need to be able to answer those young girls' questions became really important. Yep. And that's why, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, doing some of the things that I try to do is to just try to give people some skills and help to, to just be able to answer the questions better. But you, you, you're taking on more of the cultural thing. How, how, how vital do you feel like that is for Christians? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's in, incredibly important. And okay. the reason why is because um, a, a lot of the time our the Christian voice is getting more and more kind of drowned out. It's become like another kind of, um, I mean, in the best case scenario, it's just another one of the other voices out here giving their take on spirituality or mm, whatnot. Okay. Or, um, but in the worst case, it's like it's actually bad for culture. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so, um, and that both those are increasingly growing at the same time. And so, it's like if we can't communicate the the gospel and Christianity to culture and explain to them their need for it and why Christianity is both objectively and subjectively true for mm -hmm. them, then I think that we're um, we become less and less relevant in culture as well. And of course, we believe that it's true. So we want people to have the the knowledge of a saving knowledge of Jesus. So, so somebody maybe watching or listening to this is a believer, and and I'm sure there will be some believers that are watching or listening, and they don't feel like they're um, at a level that they really could go out and share the gospel. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I would say. Um, start asking questions is is super important understand where people are coming from why they're saying what they're saying just ask a lot of questions and genuinely be open to whatever they say and then you can always take your time to research and think later and then revisit the conversation with them later you know because you're not going to know everything all the time you know what i mean there's still stuff that i don't know when people mm -hmm. will ask but um but then i make it a point to go try to research it and think more about it um, think more carefully about it, and that's a good way. It's to interesting you say that. He said that the first thing he said was to be a listener. Yeah. Because yeah. I think most people would have yeah. thought the first thing you should be is a talker. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, what What are some other things? What like just help help anybody who's out watching this who just wants to be able to give a better defense for their faith. What can they do? I think with, with evangelism and okay. with apologetics, there is a similar concern. And basically, what we're doing when we encourage people to take apologetics and go do evangelism and say, you're scared of this and you're afraid you can't do it, and you're scared of this and you're afraid you can't do it. How about that? You know, and I get that. But what people are concerned about, I think there are uh, two or three things that, that prevent people from this, other than it just being kind of an awkward thing to talk okay. about these things, which I get. And that is number one. Um, this is brought out in a book by Greg Boyd called uh, uh, Beyond a Doubt or Benefit, or of, the Benefit doubt. of the Doubt. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's talking there about how actually one of the concerns that, that is, seems to be there is that people are scared of doubt. People that are Christians are concerned that if they start talking to someone, they're talking, not all Christians, but generally in church, if I start talking to someone who is uh, a doubter or is not a Christian or something about these things, what if that rubs off on me? You know, what, what if I catch their doubt? You know? okay. That's one thing. Uh, and people often aren't even re aren't even aware that they're thinking that way. You point it out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that is kind of something." And then another thing is, you're afraid you're going to say something wrong that's going to confirm them in whatever non-belief they have. Okay. But here's the thing about that, and that's with evangelism or apologetics. I think that what John said is great, and I've said it like this for a long time. You may not be able to be an answer giver yet. You want to be. You can try. But uh, you can be an answer finder for people mm. today. You can be a Christian mm. apologist today in that way. You can go out and have a conversation with someone, and if you don't know the answer to something, you do what John says. You say, 
you know what, that's a really good question. I'm gonna go find out and then we can continue this. Number one, you just validated that they had a concern that was worth talking about. You get to learn something and you become a better Christian, a knowledgeable Christian, a better apologist as a result of it. That's great. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would say go out and do it. Uh, I mean, you were talking about last night how Jesus sent out the 70 before he taught them because they went out and they were making mistakes and when they came back, Jesus used it as a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they weren't they weren't ready necessarily for prime time, right, but he was yeah. still pushing them to go out there. Yeah, he was I coming mean, back. Let's firebomb that village. You yeah, know, right. um, it seemed like he had a a sort of a, a way in which he would get people doing stuff because we think the exact opposite. We think we got to have all the answers yeah. for everything before we go do something. Yeah. So you say you say go out and do it. Just go get out, out there. I mean, Moses was called to go and he had a stutter. He was not ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gideon, of course, was of course. Uh, didn't think he was ready. God is willing to use people that are willing to say, here I am, send me. And of course, we need to remember that often, uh, that's what all God is looking for. He will He will train those who are willing. He's not gonna call it train necessarily. Mm. I mean, when I started my YouTube channel, a lot of topics that I talk about now that I had not, had not studied, I was just willing to start making some videos mm. and see where God led me. And sometimes that's all you need to do. Just step out, get your feet wet, and eventually he may pull, pull you into the deep end, but you know, he'll be there for you. He'll be there right with you. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's and that's, good. that's true for all of us too. I think there's nothing special about <laughs> any of us, especially this guy. There's nothing special, <laughs> <laughs> nothing special about I'll any of us. see you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but I think that um, when you're willing, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, then God will use you, even if it's in these ways. I mean, it doesn't have to be some YouTube channel or something like that. Yeah. It could be with just the people in your lives. Mm-hmm. Like God will use you yeah. to work in their lives. Mm-hmm. So. I just so want people to know that. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you just like he uses our brokenness. I yes. mean, I mean, I, 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 what I, somebody asked me one time, they said, What have you learned in all the schooling that you've done? I said, The thing I've learned more than anything is what I don't know. Yeah. That's what I know. Yeah. I, I don't know, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's an okay place to be. You, were you, you going to throw something out? Yeah. Um, I was just saying the, the woman that uh, enrolled in our school because mm-hmm. her, because her grandson turned out to be an atheist, this wasn't, I mean, she, she was enlisted that day in this job. Wow. You know, it, it wasn't yeah. something that she was prepared for. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do we say? So let's let's move here to maybe somebody who's watching this that just is watching because they know maybe you're on this thing and they love to go at you guys that are maybe a non-believer, maybe they would consider themselves to be an atheist or an agnostic, whatever they consider themselves to be. If they're watching and they're like, I don't believe any of this stuff, what, is there anything you would say? Bring it. Uh, really? <laughs> I mean, I, I want to talk to non-believers and have a conversation. That's why I'm willing to do debates. That's why I put the videos out. That's why I don't disable comment sections. But let me hear what you got. I'm not afraid of, of my worldview being wrong. It very well could be. Let's see. Let's put the evidence out there. And let's have a conversation. Hmm. You say bring it. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's a reference to something. <laughs> what do you all say to somebody out there who's who just went, wow, that was a pretty bold statement, which is, which is good. I like well, that. everyone should know. There's a debate that IP that, that Michael did. He goes by Inspiring Philosophy IP. And uh, his opponent said, bring it. Yeah, that's so, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's your thing now. Yeah. It's become a meme. So. Okay, yeah. I said, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, you know, I open every show just about saying, you found the channel that loves atheists. We love atheists. And we don't mean that in the ooey gooey sort of, Mm -hmm. we're Christian, so we have to say it. No, we really do. The reason we're doing this is because it's not just because we want to be famous or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And like you said, there are people watching who they'll never be famous about this. They they, they just want to learn how to impact their community. Sure. And uh, we say that because our goal really is that 
if you're a skeptic out there, if you're an unbeliever, now obviously there are all kinds of Muslims, Hindus, there are all kinds of people who yeah, are skeptical sure. about Christianity. But in, in this realm, I, I'm doing this because I love those comments we get or those emails mm. that say, man, I was on the edge of deconstruction and, and this video brought me out mm. or something like, or it started me on the right path. Gotcha. But there are two kinds of, of characters, at least, when you, when you in, involve yourself in this type of work. One is the type of person who, who is really just a normal person who listens to what we say and says, okay, yeah, I mean, I can see that. You know, when we mm. talk about it, there may be pushback. Sure. There's another type that says, if an asteroid collided with the moon and it was written in multiple languages, God exists, or if someone parted an ocean in Jesus' name, I wouldn't think anything necessarily supernatural had happened. <laughs> Such a person, you're going to have a hard time gaining traction. That doesn't mean you don't do it. And it certainly doesn't mean you don't present the gospel. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say um, to those who kind of doubt and yeah. don't understand or don't believe, I mean, I, I would say like, I get it. Like I, I understand <laughs> because I was, I didn't grow up in the church or anything like that. So it all looked weird to me too. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? So like, I mean, I get it. Um, but I think that like, if, if you, I, and this is where people are just different, but like you have to kind of know what it would take to persuade you and try to stay consistent with that, you know, because um, for me, I want to try to follow the evidence where it leads, you know what I mean? And, and this isn't something that I believe for some convenient reason, at least I don't think so, you know, mm -hmm. not for some convenient reason. So for me, I'm just persuaded. Like, I think it makes the most sense of reality, the most sense of who we are, the uh, most sense of so many different things where I don't think any other worldview can, even gets close in my, mm -hmm. in my opinion. See, so, this is fascinating yeah. to me because we were on a live stream last week, you and I, mm -hmm. um, and they were asking about our, 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 our testimony, basically our conversion experience. And I was one of those people who I was raised in the church and sure. blah, 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 you know. Um, but Michael said something more like what John just said, which is Michael assessed the evidence and he found it to be plausibly true and he accepted it. Yeah. And God used that. And that is fascinating to me because it does validate what we're doing mm -hmm. here. And it's not something I personally experienced in the way I, I was affirmed in my faith, but not like that. I wasn't, I, it didn't bring me to the point of faith originally. Mm -hmm. so, so, so for you both um, doing some searching and studying led you guys to where you're at? Yeah, no. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I think it was it was it C.S. Lewis. Same thing, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Then he so, do yeah. a lot of study and it yeah. came to. Um, so let's 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 move a little bit more into um, some some Q and A because um, number one, I think we can help give believers some things that they can use, but I think we can also talk to people maybe who are not a believer and maybe we give them some things that might make them think about what's going on. What do you find is the biggest re? Um, reason for people who say, I don't want to be a Christian. Um, and and it, I, it's probably a generalized statement. You probably say there's 8,000 reasons why. But is there are there some broad generalizations? And again, I we need to, they are generalizations. They're not specific. But are there some broad strokes that you get that you hear regularly for people go, I'm not a Christian because? Because it's stupid or I it, it, okay. it's supernatural. It posits things that you have to believe in like talking animals uh, referencing like Genesis 3 for example okay. or you have to believe in like magical sky daddies is what they'll say they just it, to, it that tends to be what it is I don't think that's the real reason okay but that tends to be what is cited that's the rhetoric that's the rhetoric okay yeah. is that would that would you all agree with that is that what you see um for me usually I I mean usually if you can sit with people long enough you can find that uh, in a lot of cases of course this is uh, a broad brush but um, a lot of cases they've experienced some sort of hurt by Christians or the church, or mm -hmm. they see Christians as antithetical to 
um, things that they value to their personal mm-hmm. values. And so they see um, a lot of it with the po- um, political climate and stuff. They atta- uh, associate Christianity with the far right wing mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, and that's a big turnoff for people. So it tends to be a lot more like that in, in my experiences, in my conversations with people. Um, and so, and again, I, I, I mean, I'll go back to that. I get it because the, the stuff looked weird to me too. And like, you know, and so mm-hmm. I understand where they're coming from in that aspect. What about you, Braxton? Is it the same thing that uh, Michael's got or is it different? Yeah, it, well, because we're because we're doing a lot of YouTube type stuff a sure. lot of the time, mm-hmm. we are going to deal with bombastic voices, loud voices, and they're going to say that. And a lot of people in the comments, we hear that all the time, Sky Daddy. Yeah. Um, and, and like I used to, and I really should do this more, is to point out when, the, in a nice way, when mm-hmm. this is just mockery, just rhetoric, and I don't mind rhetoric. Rhetoric is great if there's something behind it. Sure. And uh, but but pointing it out that this is just this whole thing that we just heard right here. This was just rhetoric. What is the actual evidence we're talking about? Now the point is, how do you convey that? And this is what Mike. Uh, this is what Mike. This is what John's so good at is conveying that to an audience in a way that they feel like you're their friend talking to them about something. Yeah. You know. But isn't that important? I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not an apologist by nature. I mean, you, I, I don't do what you guys do. I mean, I guess in some ways I do as, as a preacher, but I mean, as a pastor, um, I find the more I sit on my stool, the more I just have a conversation with the people that are in the um, auditorium, the, the better it works, the the, the preaching thing. And, and, I, and I grew up in that. I mean, I grew up in, I mean, you talk about some preaching. I mean, man, they preached. I mean, yeah. it was, it was loud. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't antagonistic to me because I grew up in it. And I felt like that was normal. Right. But as I've sort of grown and whatever, is there a, because, you know, where you are like, I mean, I, there probably is a place for bring it and just, we're going to we're gonna deal with this head on. And there's also a place for, let's have a casual conversation and be a friend. Both can be used, don't you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, I, and I think, honestly, um, back to that earlier point, uh, I, I think uh, there are underlying things that's true okay. for all of us. I don't think, I heard you say this in an interview with Paul Oji one time about divine hiddenness. You made a good point about the fact that we don't even always understand entirely why we think what we do about certain things. And divine hiddenness for someone who's watching who has no idea. Gonna unpack okay, okay, that. Okay. Yeah, so what you'll hear a lot of times from at least some of the more philosophically minded critics that we have is, well, let's say, look, um, we've got the problem of suffering, problem of evil, right? Why do bad things, why would this, if there's an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God, why so much evil? Why evil? Why gratuitous evil, depending on what type of mm-hmm. argument we bring? Divine, and everybody knows, like people watching, if they've thought much at all about things, that's something that does resonate. And so we shouldn't dismiss it without without gotcha. giving it space because Christians will think of that. Where, where's God in the midst of my <laughs> child dying or whatever, you know? So they, they, they think that way. Divine hiddenness, I think, is kind of a subcategory of the problem of evil. And divine hiddenness is something that, that says, wait, if there's a God, why isn't it more obvious if there's a God? Why doesn't he... Um, why isn't there more evidence than there is? Evidence that would be enough to convince any reasonable person, okay, sure. you know, that sort of thing. And so I say I say often, I get that too. It's like, why doesn't Jesus show up in Jerusalem once every couple of years mm-hmm. and do a couple of miracles just to show, you know, I would be all for that. Um, those are important things that come up that I often hear from the more thoughtful, it's something like that. Okay. What is your answer to someone who says, man, how could a God, if he's loving and he's, got the power to create the world, why in the world did he not create shields for those kids in the school that got shot? Or why didn't he do a miracle and keep that car from careening over the edge of 
you know, um, what, what's your, what do you say to someone who goes, it's just the world's got too much evil. Yeah, why did he do that, Mike? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult issue. And most of the time when people are asking that, they're asking from emotion. So to reply with a logical argument that's been formulated is not going to really help them mm. because they're saying this in outrage. So a lot of the times the best response is, I don't know because I'm not God. I don't know his entire plan. Mm -hmm. If you want me to explain logically or from an evidential standpoint why I don't think the problem of evil is successful, I can do that. But I understand you're going through a lot of hurt. I understand you're very angry right now. Mm. I understand this is really bothering you. Uh, and so let's talk about that because I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. Mm. This is a very complicated issue that we need to deal with. It's a serious issue, and I don't want to just dismiss it another rug by saying, well, there's an issue of free will, and there's also the issue of, of, of these other aspects when it comes to the problem of evil, because that's not really what they're looking for, let's be honest. Did, there was a really sensitive side there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah. I, I want to make sure that everybody saw that. <laughs> it was, it was present. It, it happened. I, no, I mean, it was it was very sensitive. Yeah. Um, I, mean, that's, I, I was not expecting that answer. I was expecting, let me tell you why. So, so no, which is great. That That's, I, I would agree. I mean, I think yeah. that being able to listen, but but what, yeah. what would you say for someone who's looking for the evidential side? Mm. You know, um, because uh, I mean, I think which, like I resonate so much with what you just said. It would be my default position, right. it, it, which is interesting because I think that we just said there was times where you got to really address it hard yeah. and then other times you got to listen. Mm -hmm. it, it, sometimes I feel like that in my world, I want everybody to be on my way I do it, and I don't sometimes understand this side, because like, no, this is the way you should, and sometimes people over here don't understand what, yeah. what I'm saying is, is it's all scrambled, but for someone out there who's listening, who's a Christian, who their buddy is just, not yeah. because they're going through maybe, an, they're just they're just raising this as an objection, or to someone out there who's not a Christian right now, who goes, there's no way these guys can answer this question right. for me. Yeah. There's no evidence, there's no good answer. What would you say? Yeah, no, there, there's, few different things. So okay. um, I would, I mean, first kind of question is like, I guess when you talk about the intellectual side, you just say, well, why think that? Why think that God wouldn't allow something evil to happen? And most of the time, you know, they're going, oh, because he's loving or, you know what I mean? Or something like that. <laughs> but then again, I mean, just in practical situations, we will allow somebody to go through, like my kids, I'll allow them to suffer, quote unquote, you know, from them to go through something bad for a greater purpose that they might not understand because their cognition is so limited at their age, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, even like I, taking my son to the dentist is a um, illustration I use sometimes. When when he was his first trip to the dentist, he didn't understand why I'm holding him down and letting the doctor go inside of his mouth mm -hmm. and stuff to scope him out. But there was a greater good that he wasn't aware of. And so, if you think that's the distance between um, a two-year-old or however old he was, two-year-old to um, mm -hmm. you know whatever age I was. But you think about with God, it's um, there's a much greater distance, right? You're talking mm -hmm. to um, the God is somebody who knows literally everything there is to know. So for somebody, if somebody does know the greater purpose, it's going to be God, right? So the answer is, I don't know. Um, but I'd also say something in terms of like the suffering that he talks about. Um, I had two friends that both lost their babies to SIDS. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it was really unfortunate and sad. Um, but what I realized going through it is one of them allowed the situation to bring them closer to God and the other one allowed it to push them further away from God. Mm -hmm. So there's this um, part of volition that's in there too where we can, um, we, it's mm -hmm. how we handle it. We, you know, when they say sometimes you can let bad things make you bitter or better, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so I don't think it points to or away from God. I think it's what we choose to do with it that makes it push us to or away from God. More. Interesting. I think when we're talking about the problem of evil, people tend to hone in on the evil and they forget the larger perspective. So I, I mm. remind them of that. For one thing, this is not the only life. We also have eternity. So 
as C.S. Lewis would say, heaven is going to dwarf, the joy of heaven will dwarf the suffering we have here. Mm -hmm. I remind him also of the fact that this world is kind of, almost kind of like analogous to a dream. You may go through suffering in a dream, and then you wake up to reality, and you're like, oh, okay, well, my family really didn't die. Well, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. Mm. When you go back with your family, it's going to be coming out of a dream. Everything like that is all put into perspective. And I also ask him this. If, if suffering is greater, much more worse than life itself, the beauty of life, why are we not destroying the rainforest? This is something I was talking with a philosopher named Justin Mooney said. He said, people who argue that God should never have created life because of all the suffering will not go to the rainforest and destroy it and burn it down. Because if they actually thought suffering was far worse, they would do that. Because think of all the suffering that's happening in the rainforest right now with all the life there. And for the generations upon generations of animals that are going to exist in the rainforest, that are going to die, they're going to be tortured by other animals, they still think the rainforest is beautiful as it is and we should preserve it, even though there's going to be suffering that's going to happen there. And that, that, that intuitively says to me, they recognize that the greatness of life is far better than the intrinsic badness of suffering and the intrinsic goodness of life will always outshine that. So from God's perspective, he knows that. He knows life itself is so beautiful and wonderful that no matter what suffering it goes through, life itself is always going to be better and therefore it should exist. Yeah, and real quick, one, one thing that people don't tend to focus on as well too is, I mean, one that's a little bit more obvious is that we have free will, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to actually love God and love others and show these radical um, um, examples of love and stuff like this, mm -hmm. we need free will, right? And so with that also comes the possibility of using that free will to harm other people, you know? And so like much of the evil in this world comes from humans against humans, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there's a little bit, I mean, I wanna say it's smaller, I don't know if I feel confident putting a percentage on it, but a much smaller percentage comes from um, natural disasters. And those are the things where I'd say it really falls into that category of um, us just not understanding the reasons why they, just because we can't think of a reason why god would allow bad things to happen doesn't mm -hmm. mean that there can't be one right? i know that i know that for me you know because i live here in florida and we have hurricanes right and yeah. we, i mean everybody knows we've had them um i, I didn't realize we, we we had one one time that we thought was going to maybe come through sarasota we haven't had one like in a hundred years i think maybe yeah. 87 or but it rounded up to 100. Yeah. um but i didn't realize that hurricanes are nature's way of regulating the temperature in the uh in the atmosphere. Wow. So what they do is they 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 they, they do this spinning. It's so like the, the world would heat up too much, and so if you got more hurricanes, it's just it's more of the world regulating its temperature. Right. It also, when it hits land, it rids um, parts of the land where the dead stuff has, is growing that's keeping life from really coming out. Mm -hmm. It clears out a lot of that stuff wow. to allow new life. It was, I, was, I, don't know, I don't know how I got there, but I got on some places where this yeah. is the good parts of hurricanes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, hold on. But it, 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 it just, it's like, I, I would have never even thought, how could you have any good that came out of a hurricane? Because all I think of as a Floridian is yeah. please, which is terrible, because you're just like, don't hit Sarasota. Yeah. And, and you're, you're almost going, okay, well, hold, but what I'm really saying is, is go hit somebody yeah, else, yeah. which is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's so terrible. But 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 I didn't realize the the positive things that come out of hurricanes. Yeah. And so th there's a tension, I think we all know intuitively, that sometimes something that's bad could actually end up being good, yeah. but it wasn't good at the time. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't tell you how many things have happened in my life that I go, in this moment, I thought it was the worst thing yeah. that was ever happening to me. But 20 years down the road, I'm like, thank God that happened because it really, and so sometimes I don't even know if we can even process 
what I mean, there's definitely evil. There's no question. Yeah. But sometimes we attribute, I think, evil to something that was bad. But it, but yeah. it, but it, but long term, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was. Any, Absolutely. Any truth yeah. to that? Oh yeah. And and think about what you just said too. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, hurricanes will come to Florida some often. Yeah. You still choose to live in Florida. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Um, and so we we think about like our human choices as well too. When we, yeah. when we decide to live in these regions where there's earthquakes mm-hmm. and hurricanes and stuff like this. Is it really kind of God's fault at that point? You know what I mean? Like we know, but we still choose to live there. You know what I mean? It's like that human choice kind of thing as well too, because there are these areas where bad things happen and we still choose to live in those areas. You know, we're not forced to, I mean, you know. Sure. One thing, if it's okay to bring back to the sentimental Michael Jones situation a moment ago. Oh, stop. um, Is is to say (laughs) that there there is a difference. I mean, Alvin, Alvin Plantinga, very academic, drew a distinction between the emotional and intellectual mm-hmm. problem basically so I can't this over here is more like what your pastor does you know type thing mm-hmm. but with the intellectual uh, concern there is a problem that can hit people and make them feel bad unnecessarily mm-hmm. I think one of the answers that I give and that John alluded to as a possible answer has to do with free will and that many evils that happen in the world have to do with the fact that people are exercising their God-given mm. ability of free will to do both good and do evil, right? That's so that can happen. Sure. What I never want anyone to come away from thinking is that that means that in, if you're experiencing suffering right now, that that necessarily correlates to something you did gotcha. wrong. Yes. And I think there are a lot of people that suffer. I call this the grandma fallacy. And the reason I call it the grandma fallacy is my, my wife was jumping rope in her uh, garage as a kid, and her grandma poked out and said, come in for dinner. And she kept jumping rope. Her grandmother said it to her three more times, and finally she fell and busted her lip. And her grandmother pokes out and says, see, God's doing that to you because you're not listening to your grandma. (laughs) Grandma fallacy. That may be. I mean, maybe, but the grandma's not in a position to know that. And neither are the preachers in a position to know that when something happens like that in in America, and we're like, oh, it's because of all these leftist issues that we don't like. Right? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, now these are these are great. It's, it's almost like you know, because I mean, we as Christians do believe that the world was created in in some sense good, and we can all debate how that works in Genesis. But there was some sense of something deteriorated to some degree, and 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 it's almost like if I go out and build this beautiful house, you know, and somebody's walking in this beautiful house and somebody takes a sledgehammer and hits some of the roof and it falls on top of somebody and hits them. It wasn't my design of the house that, that created that. There were other factors that created some of the spinoffs of stuff. And I think what we're saying is, is that um, you know, there, there may be free will choices that got us in the situation. There, there may not be, but there might be consequences and other things that other people did that, that created stuff. And it doesn't mean that we were good or bad. It just there's always unintended consequences. But there is a part of suffering, I do think, that we do know intuitively that there can be redemption from bad yes. things. And I think that, like when Paul says in Romans 8.18, that the sufferings this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. I do think God is saying, or Scripture is saying to us, that there is some element of whatever we've gone through that we may not be able to see right now, even in faith, that God does have some redemption to some of these things that's beyond our ability to see right now. Would that be would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would just. And I don't think that's I don't think that's like being sky daddy. 
<laughs> whatever those words y'all get, I've, right. I've never heard those things. Um, but but I don't think that's being like illogical or, right. or being like, oh, you're not giving enough good evidence. I think anybody with any sense knows that yeah. you could say there's stuff that's happened that could be redeemed. Yes, yeah, and there's a lot of situations where it will lead. Um, I mean, even for my own life, like there's stuff I went through to suffer, but um, it was still in hindsight, it was a good thing because it helped me in some other ways and helped me to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I'll just add on to what you said there is um, also if we consider the different worldviews when it comes to suffering, right? Mm-hmm. On Christianity, we actually have more reasons to expect suffering, right? Because mm-hmm. suffering is actually the greatest good of how God actually brought about the greatest good into the world was through the suffering of Jesus. You know what I mean? And so through that, it's like we should expect suffering. Where other worldviews might deny it, like some of the Eastern religions, there's, you know, it's an illusion and all this other stuff where it shouldn't be there. But Christianity embraces it in a realistic way, in reality, you know, and Jesus says, like, we're gonna have tribulations, you know, and so we have all these reasons to expect suffering. So it's consistent with the way that the world really is. And to me, that's more persuasive in the sense for Christianity being truth because it's not denying these things that are... Um, Is that C.S. Lewis quote where he says, uh, um, if in this, and I'm terribly, I'm butchering it, right. but if if, if I, I live in a world that can never fully satisfy me, it, yeah. it, it sort of speaks of that there's something else out there. Yeah. Um, does, does, does our does our revulsion to suffering and pain and evil, does that in some also way suggest that we know that there's something that's amiss and that there's something that should be better is that is that a, is that is that ill is that well, well, is that illogical well, well i believe it was bertrand russell that said how could you look into the eyes of a dying child and believe in a god and i go how could you look into the eyes of a dying child and believe yes natural selection at work this is great the bad genes are being weeded out this is wonderful well you're not going to say that sure so there is i think some truth to what lewis said mm-hmm. that there is something about this world that just doesn't feel right and needs to be fixed and I, I often compare it to sometimes to um, C.S. Lewis's friend Tolkien mm-hmm. in his world of Lord of the Rings. It's that they were put in this world uh, and there was evil. There was Melkor, there was Sauron causing all these problems. But we ultimately say that made the world better. And this is what Tolkien even says when they were trying to sing discord into the song of creation. It made the world better. And you mm-hmm. just think of it like this. What would be a better story? Lord of the Rings or Frodo wakes up and has tea and goes back to bed for 365 days. Well, you're going to say the Frodo at the end of Lord of the Rings is a much better character. He's a much more mature, mm. moral character because of the suffering he's gone through than spoiled Frodo who never had to go through suffering and just lived in his rich hole. And the courage he was able to exercise. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's I think this is the kind of world God is trying to create. We recognize triumphant good is better than regular good because triumphant good overcomes evil and it celebrates and it mm. becomes something better. You can't have courage unless there's some danger to face. Danger implies there needs to be some sort of something wrong there. But we recognize a good agent that is courage, that has overcome evil, is something far greater. And if God is trying to create the best of all possible worlds, I think he's going to create a world with triumphant good. Hmm. So you guys see no real threat to Christianity at all when somebody raises up the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. I see a threat that individuals will be influenced by it and connect with the reality that they do experience suffering and they are supposed to think of God as good. But do I see that it is intellectually successful, like the argument is successful? I don't think so. And I'll give you a real good reason. Number one, we do have answers. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit tough because even if we don't know any particular reason, this is where, where I think you were saying a moment ago, 
we can't say that God doesn't have a reason. We're not in a position to know that. And we're not the ones making the claim here when someone claims that based on this argument, God does not exist. Okay, so, so what all I have to do is present what's called a defeater. I just have to present okay. something that may make sense of why this evil exists, mm. uh, why God would allow this, whether I know or not. For example, if you left and there are no windows in this room, and if you left this room and came back an hour later and you were dripping wet, and John stands up and says, the only explanation for why he's dripping wet is he got into his shower with, with his clothes on. We all know that's false. You may have gotten into the shower with your clothes on, but that's not the only possible sure. explanation. You may have fallen in a pond. It may have started raining, right? And so in a similar way, when someone says, based on this, God doesn't exist. Hold on. I may not know how to answer that. Maybe I can try, but I can tell you, here are some things that I think, if they're true, make sense of why God would allow that, which takes all the force out of your argument. Mm, good. So at the end of the day, um, there's some real things that can go with this question of suffering and evil. Mm -hmm. There's people that can very um, emotionally get carried away by this. But as far as like from an intellectual standpoint, we, we shouldn't be scared when somebody says that evil and suffering disprove God. Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I can't tell somebody how to feel. I understand. Yeah, but, but yeah, but I mean, I, I personally... It makes yeah. sense to me. So. Yeah, you, nobody here feels like that's an irrational place no. that we're doing the fairy tales or whatever. We feel like that there's good reasons for what we believe. Okay. What about this? Um, what about someone who comes along and says, um, well, you know, you you all believe in this book called the Bible. And, you know, I've seen some stuff on YouTube that's so full of contradictions. It, it doesn't make any sense. It was written by all kinds of different people, and it was written by people. There's no way it could be. Why do you all put tr trust or any type of belief that this book, you know, you all seem like you have like a magical incantation book. Like, why would you trust that book over? Wh what do you say to somebody who throws that out? The B-I-B-L-E? Yeah, that's <laughs> the book for me. Okay. <laughs> um, the one thing to keep in mind is that I would start by treating it just like any other ancient document, okay. any other canon of books. Uh, I'm going to try to treat it as fairly. And sometimes I see atheists can't even do that because they'll say things like, well, if this is true, it means i got to change my lifestyle. So I'm going to treat it with a higher standard. I don't want to do that. I want to treat it like I'd treat any other ancient book. Mm -hmm. Judge it by that. Is it reliable? Is it giving me an account of things that actually occurred? And I think there's a lot of strong evidence for Old Testament reliability. New Testament reliability, mm -hmm. showing that it is reliable to what was originally written, mm. what the eyewitnesses saw. Then it's like, okay, great, you have a reliable book. Does that mean it's true? No, but there is something unique about Christianity that no other religion has, and that's the resurrection argument. Typically in religions, it's one guy had revelations, and we got to trust him. Jesus died publicly. He was buried in a public tomb, and he rose publicly. His grave was left empty for the public. The uh, apostles proclaimed it publicly in Jerusalem immediately, mm -hmm. and they publicly suffered for what they would have known to be false. Mm -hmm. uh, th there was so much evidence for the resurrection that I, I'm just barely touching the tip of the iceberg there, but that is why it gives me a good reason to trust the rest of it, because Christ said, I, I will give you one sign, my resurrection. And that is, a, that is a very strong case, I think, can be made to show that we can trust the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, it's interesting that you landed there because you started out and I thought we're both going to say really, I think, good things, but from two different directions. But really, it's the resurrection for me. The resurrection mm -hmm. is the historical centerpiece of our faith. Okay. And the resurrection is, I think, the centerpiece of why I think I can trust the Bible. I can't okay. get you in, in, inerrancy out of this, but I think I can get you a, that it's authoritative or, or true. And um, 
And the way I do that is just to say, and this is not foolproof, this is just me telling you what I think. Sure. So I think, uh, okay, I have really good reason for the reasons that uh, Mike just mentioned to think that Jesus rose from the dead, mm -hmm. that God raised Jesus from the dead. If I believe God raised Jesus from the dead, now where do I go from there? Well, what can I know about Jesus? Well, these gospel authors um, told me about the resurrection and it seems to be the biggest claim that they make. So if I can trust them on the resurrection, then I don't. I, I need some good reason not to trust them on these lesser miraculous sure. details. And so then I see Jesus in Luke 24, 44-ish, something like that, affirming the totality of the Old Testament. And, uh, and then I see the New Testament authors basically echoing what the apostles said. So that gives me, generally, I feel like I can trust this. It doesn't mean that it's an error, but it means it's, just, it's trustworthy. And if God thought I need to raise, uh, Jesus is being raised from the dead in demonstration, then I should listen to him. And that's where I learned about gotcha. it. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts from you? Yeah, I guess just um, echoing what they said, the resurrection is obviously like, um, that was a, a big part of my conversion was because of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. But I think also there's a lot more than that throughout the Bible. And even when you look at the, you know, like the Isaiah 52, 53, um, uh, prophecies and stuff, and then you line that up with this historical event that you know that scholars would even say. I mean, there's there's so much stuff like this. You look at like the prophecy, um, you look at the archaeology, the evidence and stuff like this, and then you also, if you take away the presupposition that miracles can't happen because they're assuming there's no God, then like a miracle, like walking on water, is not that grand unless you have a bias where you say, well, nobody can walk on water, and that's true by according to natural laws. But if there's a God here that created. Um, you know, the laws and stuff, God could um, come into reality in different ways. So I think it's just having an open mind, I think, really helps. Um, I think I, I strongly believe that if you have an open mind and you follow the evidence where it leads, mm -hmm. at minimum, you're going to say that Christianity makes a lot of sense and could be possible. I, yeah. I tend to think of, uh, um, you know, my background's a little different than your all's. I mean, mine's more literary stuff. And uh, um, one of the things that I know for a fact is if me and you went to the library, or any of us went to the library, and we pulled 66 books off the shelf, and we read them, um, we probably wouldn't find thematic unity amongst all 66 books. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying there might not be something here or there, but because it's not common authorship, there probably would be all kinds of different things that we would see. But when I look at scripture and I see the way it's put together, um, especially over the time and the amount of people that written these books, there there is such thematic unity through this book. It, it, it would lead most literary people if they were being honest. And this is the key word here is honest, because for whatever reason, when we come to the Bible, people feel like that, okay, well, hold on, like you said, they, if, the, if I even make this true, then oh my gosh, it has to do. But that, that, that should not be the issue of coming to the Bible. You should come to the Bible yeah. with the same way you come to anything else. If you read a certain person and you see the themes that go through, you realize this is common authorship. I think when you look at these 66 books, you have to sit back and go, hold on now. How in the world could these themes run through? There's no way they all had telephones and iPads and said, hey, make sure when you put this in here, you do this. Um, to me, I look at it and go, wow, there's just, it, it's hard for me to believe that there's not a common authorship behind these, these books. And of course, I would, I would call that God. I think Paul refers to it as God breathed, you know, um, I think one tr translation, inspiration, you know. Um, but uh, I, I do think, is this fair to say? I mean, you, you all have studied this. Um, we have manuscript evidence. We have, I mean, it, when you're comparing it to other books, if you just use the same way that they 
say, hey, this is Plato's Republic, and this is genuinely what Plato wrote. I mean, it may not be every single word, but I mean, 99% of what the Republic is, that's what Plato wrote, because we have these two manuscripts, and we know that this is the way it is. I think that when you look at Scripture, there's a, a, an overwhelming preponderance amount of stuff that would make us go, yeah, yeah, we got what we were supposed to get. Yeah, and so is that am I wrong on that? I mean, I think skeptics would say to something like, "Okay, so you got a bunch of documents that show that this said something," and but where the strength of what you're saying, and and you know this, but to the listener, is is okay. What we said was, "Here's this incredible event in history that validates scripture, Mm -hmm. right?" For the reasons that we that we say, Mm -hmm. what that doesn't mean is that every single time. I see a miraculous thing like walking on water. Oh, what's your apologetic for Jesus walking on water? Well, that's not how this works. I mean, maybe I can say something or maybe not, depending on what it is. Um, But all the things like you just said, the thematic stuff and um, how it all hangs together so well, and then the the manuscript evidence that we have, and we all just, of we that just have decent together. Not, not even the not even to make it the Bible, the Word of God, like we would maybe mm-hmm. say it is. Mm-hmm. But but to, to to go that no no, we actually got what the people wrote, and here we, we have a pretty good like this is what Mark wrote. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, either people go oh we, it's transcribed and pulled and errors right. and this and that. The same way that we say here's Homer's odyssey mm-hmm. and we go you know that that's that's what he wrote and, and nobody doubts that's what yeah, he wrote no. i'm saying we just have enough manuscript evidence to go no this is probably a, this is what luke wrote it's not it's not eight people changed yeah. it and moved it around no this right. is the way it came out and I, that doesn't prove the bible is the word of god it just means that it's a pretty reliable source it, for the words that it has the force of that though to me is when you plug in like you just did where you say okay now i know what it all says and, and what it was supposed to say, pretty much. And I know that Jesus is in some way validating that. That's right. Now I really need to know what it says. Yeah. And all these manuscripts become sure. really important. Yeah. Sure. You know? yeah. but what, one thing to know about the manuscripts is that there are textual variants that sure. skeptics will bring up, but yeah. none of them, as Dan Wallace will say, affect essential Christian doctrines. That's right. And so they'll be like, well, we have this big black hole area of the first century into the middle of the second century. We don't need manuscripts. I'm like, okay, if we're going to extra- extrapolate variants, from to 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 make a good reconstruction of what uh, how many variants we would have in that black hole area, we also have to extrapolate the amount of uh, changes to doctrines, and that would be zero because we have no evidence of zero doctrinal changes from manuscripts. So it's very unlikely we're going to have evidence of zero doctrinal changes from that sure. earlier period. And again, there is just no evidence that Christian doctrines have changed from the early church. Period. End of story. So what was written. Um, is very likely preserved as James White, Dan Wallace will say, in the manuscript tradition. So we may not have the exact wording, but I'm guarantee you we have basically what, as you were saying, Luke wrote or what Mark wrote. Sure, but that was a that was an argument that was made about the Old Testament that we just didn't have stuff, and then they found in Nag Hammadi they found the documents of mm-hmm. the Dead Sea Scrolls and went, oh wow, okay, yeah. now 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 we go, wow, this was a pretty meticulous. Yeah. What we know about scribes, yes. forget Christian tradition. What we know about scribes is they were professional people that just copied down what they were supposed to copy down. Doesn't mean you know you you couldn't have had you know a, a mark that maybe changed a, a letter that could maybe make the word look a little differently or whatever. But none of those, in, you know, in Bart Ehrman, who you know, actually what does he say like three or four hundred thousand textual variants in the New Testament or whatever he comes mm-hmm. up with, most of the stuff that is in there is just a, a different way of saying like there's yeah. different ways of saying I love you. Okay, and, and, and so you may have, you know, all this different wording, 
but it's not changing anything of substance. And I think that's the, the key word because I think the misnomer out there is that there's so many different manuscripts so that who knows what the Bible actually says. And that's just not true. We know exactly what the Bible says. We just have a few things here and there that we wish we maybe knew a little bit better, but it doesn't change the overall thing. Is that, I mean, is that, yeah. I mean, is that factual? I mean, like, or, yeah. or do you have somebody who can, you think somebody out there is gonna debate that, go, oh, no, that's not true. No, I think even Ehrman, would, I, I think, agreed. I think it's, I think, he, if I remember, it might not be him that said this, or it might just be people quoting his work, but I think it's like 98 point something percent of the variants, like, are just common slip-ups, like Jesus Christ, and some say Christ Jesus, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Or or just like mispronunciation or spelling or something like that. It's, it's like 90%, yeah. but like the additional 9% affect the meaning of the text, but they're from late manuscripts. Yeah, like right. there's that's a late right. manuscript yeah. that's where in the book of, in the Gospel of John, it says like, John the Baptist is talking and he says, after me will come another. Well, there's a late manuscript that says, after me will come heir. And it's yeah. like the difference of like one letter. Right, yeah. right, yeah. No, and those and those are. It, but you can still, though, yeah. with the preponderance of manuscripts that we have, we can probably no, go. Well, this is probably the error, and this mm -hmm. is probably the right one. And and there's, um, you know, Bruce Metzger has a textual commentary on the New Testament, and he takes a lot of the common variants and he ranks them as to A, B, C, or D. Yeah. It's like, to, what do you think's the best one here? And some of them are like, well, we're not quite sure, but some of them are like, no, this is probably the one. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's again doesn't change any doctrine. So. What, what do we what do we say? I mean, is it is it um, if an atheist or an agnostic or someone who's doubting goes, you know, I just don't think I can really trust anything that the Bible says. Can we can we effectively say that totally understand how you get there, but that that's not the most plausible way to look at this mm -hmm. because we really should believe that Scripture is somewhat what Scripture is. Well, just that look it's at, intact. Look at something like someone like Colin Hammer did. He went through like the last the second half of Acts. Okay, and he found eighty four facts that Luke is getting right. He's getting right the name. He knows like in one town, you call it a town clerk. In another town, you have a different title. He's getting borders right, slang terms right. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get these things right unless you're actually traveling, finding these things, mm -hmm. reporting as what you actually saw and witnessed. So it's like when you start to add up little details like that, uh, Craig Blomberg does it through the Gospel of John, getting like little details right. You're not going to get those type of details right unless you were actually an eyewitness or you got it from eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. So internal evidence, and I do this through on my, on my YouTube channel with the Old Testament. I've gone through Exodus and other books like Joshua and mm -hmm. showed, look at all the little things they're getting right. This shows that it's a reliable account. You're not going to get these things right if you were making it up at a much later yeah. date. But Luke tells us that at the beginning of Luke, Luke 1, 1 mm -hmm. through 4. He says, a lot of people gathered stuff, yeah. and I gathered it and put it together and yeah. sorted it. And, and, and he even tells you, he redacted it. He says, I put it together in a way to make it an orderly account mm -hmm. for this guy or whoever this Theophilus is. Um, I mean, I, I think it's remarkable that that's in, I remember yeah. um, it was my dad. You know, my dad had been in church his whole life. I remember the first time I showed him Luke 1, 1 through 4, which I think he had read, because he's read the Bible many times, but he had Never seen that. It's funny how you know because yeah. you know, I've 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 done that too, where I've like read a book and somebody yeah. comes and says, "Do you see that? What?" And you go, "How did I? How did I miss yeah. that?" Yeah. You know. Um. But 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 Luke tells you exactly what he did, and it, I think it was Ramsey that did some stuff on him as well. You know, that said, you know, this is some pretty good history. He yeah. found, I think, he showed that uh, the location of an island was was stated in Acts. Not right? only that, it was that. Luke gets in the book of Acts, Luke gets the wind patterns around the island right. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like things you're not going to make up. Also, book of Joshua, you know, when it says that the Jordan River stopped up by a city uh, called Adam, 
Mm-hmm. Well, we have found where that, that location is, and we have found that there are regular earthquakes have caused the Jordan River to stop up in that exact spot. So, again, unless they were actually eyewitnesses of these things, they're not going to get little details like that right. Yeah. Interesting. What are, what are some things that you all get um, thrown to you all about the Bible, like the inconsistencies? The Spider-Man analogy. The yeah. Spider-Man analogy. <laughs> oh, yeah. What is that? The yeah. Spider-Man analogy says uh, what you've just been saying, what we've been discussing here— Oh, he got these facts right, the location of an island right. It'd be like if 2,000 years from now someone wrote the Spider-Man story and said, but look, he got the location of the Statue of Liberty right and the Empire State Building and Central Park. So just because they were able to tell you all these natural geographical and place details and terminology doesn't mean that Spider-Man exists, right? It doesn't mean that the... So they will throw that back to us and say, yeah, okay, they couched the story of Jesus in their culture. Mm-hmm. And so they got stuff right. I actually am glad you asked that because I was going to say, how do you guys deal with that? I mean, na- the natural answer, I think, is just to say, well, you do apologetics, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the way, way I do it is we start to look at the actual culture of Second Temple Judaism. What were they expecting? What did they want? They wanted a Messiah that was going to rise from the seat of David that would deliver them from Rome and, ri- and give them the eternal kingdom they always thought they were going to have. They did not expect a Jewish peasant from Galilee, of all places, to uh, come in, declare they that they were all the seed of Satan, and then die on a cross of the Romans, and then he would rise again three days later to die for the sins of not only them, but the Gentiles, uh, the, the, so that they, you know, they could carry the gospel message of him around the world. There, You study like early Jewish messianic movements like Simon Bar-Giora around 70 AD. Imagine his followers after he was taken to Rome and executed, sitting around going, I just, I got a vision, guys. Simon Bargiora has been made the Messiah. He's been vindicated to heaven. They were looking like he was crazy because no Jew at that time was going to make that assumption. Mm. So the resurrection claim, the early origins of Christianity is an anomaly for historians. It should not have come out from that culture. It doesn't fit the background. And yet it's not, it's not something you're going to make up like you would make up with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, it makes sense because you want to make a hero that can save the day and fight the bad guys. Okay, that's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't fighting Rome. He wasn't fighting the bad guys. He was saying, you're the bad guys and I'm going to die for you. Like that did not fit with the cultural background. It's not something you're going to make up like we do with Spider-Man today. So it's it's a bad analogy. Yeah, and I, w- I would just kind of, from a practical kind of standpoint, um, nobody today is going to die for Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> you know, and so what's interesting about Christianity, too, is like a lot of these other religions, it's, it's um, disconnected from um, the location where it started. You know, you can't say there's a miraculous event like say today we say there's a miraculous event that Spider-Man saved all of these these people. You know what I mean? And then you can't start that and have a lot of people believing it when you're in the location in the same mm. time period. Right. Yeah. And so then when from a practical standpoint, you just think, well, um, the, the disciples and first Christians were so convinced of something that was insanely counterintuitive to their culture, going off of some of the things he said. They were expecting a Jewish Rambo, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and they wouldn't, especially wouldn't think that a man was God. That's like, you know, ridiculous. Or the resurrection well, could happen in the middle of history. You know, you have all of these different things, but they were convinced by it enough to the um, point where their lives radically changed. Just look at the disciples' behavior after Jesus was crucified. They're going into hiding. They're scared, right? Then all of a sudden, after the resurrection, they got emboldened, and they were, um, you know, they're like, okay, we're willing to die for this, you know. And you read reports of um, 
them about to be executed and uh, not the disciples but the first Christians about to be executed but they were so confident that they were like laughing at the guards and stuff because they knew they'd be in heaven that night you know what I mean and so yeah so anyways that kind of boldness I think punts a dent into that Spider-Man analogy they walked, and it's something go ahead Mike. No, they walked right up to the Sanhedrin few months after Jesus was crucified and said you crucified the Messiah yeah yeah that would have been if, if they wanted the Christians dead at that moment and despite they could have done it. all they do was show the body no yeah. we got the bodies right here here's this bone of boxes yeah. <clears throat> it'd be yeah. very easy to just to end it right there and they could it because they think, didn't have the you body. would think though that Saul who was at the stoning of Stephen and seemed to have some relationship within this Jewish court very well could have been a member of the Sanhedrin we, we, we don't know for sure but he definitely was in that world you know that that guy knew mm -hmm. if there was a body yeah yeah like you know he yeah, knew that yeah, like he point. knew if there was a body yeah. so when he converts to Christianity yeah. he, he would have been able to go well no you're you, yeah. you, you can't be because I your body this this can't be true like yeah. he would have known there was a body yeah. if anybody would have known that it would have been him yeah. and for him to convert and become a Christian to me that's a really strong yeah. argument because if there's no body yeah you know um you know and, and that's and, Back to the Spider-Man thing too. Think if that happened today, like say some people are like, "Oh, I'm ready to die for Spider-Man," right? You might get a couple of fringe people, but you're not going to convert an entire. I mean, like something happened. Any historical or any um, um, historian will tell you, like something dramatic happened that converted these radical Jews, you know, and transformed this entire mm -hmm. region. You know what I mean? And so, mm -hmm. like, you can try to account for that by saying. A lot of people fell for a Spider-Man type thing, but that's that. You, like. you guys just saying that did kind of make me appreciate something from a different perspective, and it is. Let's carry the analogy through. 40 years after Spider-Man, if you ask everybody to accept the truth of Spider-Man, yeah. are they going to do it? Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. Did they accept the truth about Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Well, well even you get the creed, you know what I mean? Yeah. First Corinthians, um, yeah. Well, 15, also, I mean, you ask people today, everyone knows Spider-Man doesn't exist. He's a mythical character. You ask... We have in early secular writings like Tacitus, Pliny, mm -hmm, Josephus, yeah. saying, yeah, he was a real person, guys. This was a real guy that existed. So, and these aren't just guys. Tacitus yeah. is the greatest historian exactly. of ancient Rome. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the greatest ancient Roman historian. But yeah. even in Justin Martyr's dialogue with Trypho, he says something, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you're still going from city to city saying the disciples stole the body. They, were they, they never had the body. It, even in that day and age, they mm -hmm. had to admit they, yeah. The body was still gone. Well, Rome knew how to shut stuff down. They would have. Mm -hmm. They would have had every reason to find that body. Uh -huh. Paraded around Jerusalem, yeah. game over, done. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, which is yeah. I think that. I think that's the the thing to me. You know, I mean, I I became a Christian, but as any Christian who I, who I mean, I hope every Christian tries to explore their faith. I mean, I've had moments of doubt. I've had moments of going, did I believe a fairy tale? Did I believe yeah. in the sky daddy or whatever the words they all use? You know, um, for me. I really can say, and I don't feel like I'm being intellectually dishonest, the most plausible explanation for why Christianity exists is not because the Bible tells me so, it's not because there was a creed, it's not because I grew up in a church. The most plausible explanation for me for why Christianity exists is because there was a guy that resurrected from the dead. Mm -hmm. It just, I mean, like when I, you know, um, I, I, I think in my Easter message I said, um, nobody found no body. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, to me, that's some of the stuff I go, 
how do you explain? I mean, the, the messianic expectation in the first century, um, which we can definitely know. We also know there were many messiahs. I mean, I think it was like 126 AD, well, you had the Bar Kokhba rebellion. People still saying that they're the messiah, still trying to, because to them, a messiah was a conquering person. You didn't die on a cross. I mean, that's why they ran. That's, I mean, it, it's like, it's it's like, how do you explain Christianity? You know, and, uh, and that to me, I don't know how, well, even I don't the have way to they, explain it. Even the way they report the body, didn't make sense. If they're going to report Jesus as a resurrected body, they're going to cite Daniel. He's shining like a star. Notice they don't use that language. They say at times he didn't even really look like himself. He's in a room and then he's out of the room. Yeah. They were trying to figure out what was going on themselves. Yeah. If they were saying, well, let's just say he resurrected, yeah. quick, go to the Old Testament. Sure. It didn't fit because they're not saying it's the such passages a poor, they should. It's a poor hero story mm -hmm. yeah. if you're yeah. even thinking about inventing it. You know, yeah. I mean, the first evangelists are women. You know, I mean, it's just there's so many things that are just bad yeah, about yeah. the story that you have yeah. to go hold on this well, is this is so poorly done there's yeah. there's only really one explanation that you could explain and when i say poorly done i mean within the confines of the first century right, and yeah. how they would have seen things or um, even like i mean like the if you were the disciples inventing this religion think how bad they looked in the gospels you know what i mean like all the time they couldn't understand what jesus was saying and jesus is like haven't you read like don't you know like you know what i mean and so you have all of these examples like this where if you're making up a story like i mean especially mark with like peter and stuff like you know what i mean you then that one of the reasons they think peter um uh, wrote mark or whatever is because peter doesn't look as bad in in that one you know what i mean but overall when you look at all of them too the disciples look awful so and, it's like and on yeah. peter man yeah. The, the the boldness that we saw in Acts that one of you brought up a moment ago, this is just right after he was cowering. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. what happened? Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, I mean he, he, what the resurrection happened. happened. I mean, but like, like, like it's interesting because I've, 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 I've said this before. So if we're all in a room, okay, mm -hmm. and Braxton goes out of the room, okay, and we start hearing something on the roof that sounds like rain, we go, that sounds like rain. And then we hear cars going by the building. Whoosh, 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 like they're going through water, okay? And we're like, okay. And Braxton walks in with a rain jacket on and an umbrella and comes in and I go, wow, it's probably raining outside. And somebody goes, oh, no, 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 no. It's not raining at all. You don't know what's going on out there because what really could be happening, there could have been a water truck being held up by a, by a helicopter. Well, yeah, but the most plausible explanation that anybody would give mm -hmm. based on the evidence is that it's raining outside. Like, that's not crazy. Yeah. It's more crazy to think that there's a water truck being held up by, or it's more crazy to think. And, and I feel like that so many times when I talk to somebody who's a non-believer and I go, no, 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 no. The most plausible explanation for this yeah. is that Jesus just really rose from the dead. Yeah. For whatever reason, they, they want to say, oh, but this is a fanciful story. This is... Why do they do that? Because you all do this. This is what you do. Why is there such, I mean, I call it moving the goalposts to yeah. where y you couldn't prove anything based on what they say yeah, yeah. Um, or how the proof that they need to support something. You couldn't run your life based on that, but it's they only do that with Christianity. Because to me, the most plausible explanation is Jesus rose from the dead. How do you answer that? When somebody goes, oh, the, uh, the, no, your evidence is terrible. There's no evidence. There's no proof. You haven't done anything to prove anything. You're just, you're speculating here. Yeah, I call it metaphysical prejudice because like scholars like Bart Herman will say, a miracle is the least probable thing that could happen. You've just admitted, no matter what evidence I throw, that uh, you have presupposed that a miracle can't, is always gonna be the least probable. Mm. You've presupposed naturalism is true, 
Therefore, miracles just don't happen or are very improbable. So it doesn't matter what evidence I show, you're just going to have that presupposition that's going to dictate how you determine the evidence. So when I present evidence, you're going to go, well, I have to remember miracles are the least probable. So there's always going to be a natural explanation that's going to be better. That's presupposing naturalism is true. Naturalism is true. And I say, let's start with agnosticism. Let's not presuppose naturalism or Christianity. Let's just say, here's the evidence, and let's see what is the most plausible, the least ad hoc, has explanatory scope, explanatory power. And let's not judge explanations based on the quality we rate them. Because quality can be subjective. Mm. We design it like that. It's about quantity of explanation, because that's actually something we can look at objectively. The resurrection has the least amount of assumptions. It's the least ad hoc. It is the most plausible, because other areas, like other arguments from mm -hmm. God's existence, can help explain it as well. So it has all of these factors supporting it. And if we, so honestly, we all have it, but I would say in this instance, when they're doing this stuff, like it's just a miracle, it has to be the least probable. That is admitting metaphysical prejudice. Hmm. What do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I really, I, I think he's a good person to speak to that. He's dealt with a lot of yeah. people who function this way in debates online. Yeah. yeah, and I would say it uh, will boil down to their kind of way of what they consider to be evidence, right? So like, if it's somebody that's more kind of like analytically minded, I mean, just explain to them what an ad hoc assumption is, right? And if something's ad hoc, basically the only reason you're saying it is to prevent your view from being falsified, but there's no evidence supporting it. Like the example you gave, there's no reason to think there's a, a, a water balloon or something above the, the building, right? It's like more plausible to think that it's raining, you know? So, um, but I think with, with some people, like they just have different ways of different things that they count as evidence. So when I'm talking to individuals, I wanna know what is it that they consider to be evidence and then try to hold them to be consistent with it. Because I do believe that on any epistemology, um, if you hold true to it and are consistent, then it will lead to um, the truth of Christianity, in my opinion. So. Mm. You know, addressing, we've got resurrection, Bible, problem of evil. Um, what, what would you all say is the greatest need for the local church today? You know, and again, you all are going to come at it from your perspective. If I had psychologists in here, they probably have, we need more counseling. I mean, I, I get it. Everybody's got, but what, what do you see is the most important, like from an apologetic standpoint? I mean, you're trying to help people understand who Jesus is. What, what do you think the local church, and it could be four things, it could be one thing. What, what are some important things that the local church, in your opinion, needs to do differently or needs to adopt or needs to add to its programs? What, what, what are some things that you think? Um, for me, I think taking in the full human. So um, having a good community, um, and I've said this before, a good community where people can be authentic and honest, and then you're actually going to help them with their intellectual and their emotional questions or obstacles. And um, yeah, we handle those sorts of objections, and you also help them to learn continually. So the good discipleship, um, but incorporating the mind as well too you know so um not just one of them because usually focus will focus i mean churches will tend to focus on just one part of a person you know okay. what i mean and emphasize that but really incorporating the full human and engaging all of your life with with the gospel and showing them how that works out practically i think it's super important okay good you all have some thoughts i just think uh this is going to sound like what you expect us to say but i think an emphasis on hey if you're experiencing doubt or if you have questions about Christianity, we're happy to talk to you about that. And I said this a year ago, I think when I was with you, I still think this is good advice, is make a physical place in the church. That is a place people can go, even throughout the week, to talk to people about 
concerns that they're having uh, or in their bulletin or, or on the screen or something, something that tells people a place to go to talk and then people there that are interested in having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what happens a lot is people just quietly doubt and quietly slip away they quietly look on YouTube, they quietly get all this stuff. And I think we can be a part of that and we have answers, especially at a church like the one that you pastor. I'll probably say something a little unconventional. Okay. Uh, I think we need to stop treating the church like country clubs and more like spiritual hospitals. Mm. It seems that Christians have become country club Christians where we go to church because we're part of a cool little club and we're all perfect and we don't talk about our sins and we all just sort of fit in and we look down upon those on the outside because we're meant to be set apart. You know, the thing is when people, Christians always say this, we're meant to be set apart. Don't do that thing. We're meant to be set apart. What did Jesus mean? He meant we're set apart by how we love one another. You will, They will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So why are we not doing that? Why are we setting ourselves apart in different ways? We need to actually be going out and serving, teaching, ministering, doing anything we possibly can, and not just using church as if it's like our Sunday country club meeting, that we are sort of better than those evil people outside of it. We should be actually going out, getting our hands dirty and serving those people, even if it it makes us look bad. I mean, Jesus, he was called a drunkard and a glutton, but he was out serving people Mm -hmm. and he didn't care what they thought, but it seems we're more worried about how we're gonna look. We go out and start serving and talking to the wrong people when actually that's what we need to be doing. I mean, I get called an atheist by Christians because I spend time being nice to atheists and talking with them. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you you expect me to do? That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, go around the horn here. For people, give them your uh, YouTube channel. Inspiring Philosophy. Uh, so youtube.com slash inspiring philosophy. I'm also on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter as well. Okay, and your your, your thing is that you do there is? Uh, I do a lot of, um, a late, traditionally what I do is long form uh, documentary style videos yep. with a lot of graphics, animations. Lately I've started doing some more short, uh, entertaining comical type videos where I'm just responding to some pretty bad arguments online and addressing them. And he has good playlists on all the contradictions. Like he has a long playlist on supposed contradiction number one, and it goes through how many are you at roughly? I'm um, working on 2930. Yeah, okay. So he has a bunch of those. He has playlists on the resurrection. I mean, he has a whole bunch of stuff there, a good library. Um, For me, it's um, what do you meme, yummy, yummy. Um, if you type in what do you meme, it will pop up, but it's spelled kind of funky because I've realized mm-hmm. there's a board game um, later and so I had to change the spelling. So <laughs> anyways, yeah, my, that was my mistake. But it's uh, spelled W-H-A-D-D-O-Y-O-U-M-E-M-E and that's the handle on all the platforms. And, and, and um, you, what I, you really focus on cultural engagement. Yes, yeah, cultural engagement. I engage with culture and try to give them the gospel message through whatever is happening in culture. That's great. You want people who uh, don't really get into apologetics and stuff to be getting apologetics content. Um, the the administrator for the church that I attend is a lady um, uh, named Natalie, and she's a wonderful person. But she doesn't really a lot of this stuff is. But she loves his channel. Mm-hmm. She she she's his stand. You know. But anyway, um, for me, it's Trinity Radio, and it's at YouTube.com/slash Braxton Hunter, and I have a website braxtonhunter.com and and uh, all that. But on our channel, mostly what I do is responding to atheists who have made video content. And uh, the reason for that is I realize that when people begin to slip away, uh, if they aren't wanting to talk to other people about it, one thing that they'll do is they'll go to YouTube. If you wanna figure out how to fix a dryer or if you wanna figure out whether there's a God, you go to YouTube. So I thought we need to, and actually he was doing this too, uh, saying this as a stated goal to have a video like on everything. And I wanna have a video responding 
to ideally, I'd love to have a video responding to every atheist video on YouTube. Mm. It's a big goal. We're oh, going to get there one day. Uh, but but that's what it is. And then we also do verse by verse through the Bible because mm -hmm. I'll t with an apologetics uh, approach to it because I think that people who are into apologetics need to know the Bible and people that are into the Bible need to know some apologetics. So we try mm -hmm. to do both. Uh, but that's kind of what we're, we're about. Good. Well, um, I just am, am grateful to all of you all for uh, being here. And I really do hope that many people will watch this and go to your channel, subscribe and, and be a part of all that. You all have a, um, you have, you have a different way in which you do things, but you also do similar things. Um, but uh, I think if somebody was looking for something like an answer thing, if they spent time on all three of your channels and really mined it, they would be much better off than they were before they showed up there. Mm -hmm. So thanks for being here. Really appreciate um, yeah. And what about yours? Time. For for our viewers that might watch this, you know, we're, we're, uh, I, you know, you asked me the question. I am terrible because I see you all do this. I'm a pastor. I'm, <laughs> I'm GraceSarasota.com, which is the church, but it's it's Dr. Chip Bennett um, is the is the um, YouTube deal, and we have a. Uh, um, a little bit different because I'm not an apologist. We have a we have a lot of Bible teaching, literary themes, think of systematic theology class, a bunch of stuff. But good information for Christians just to 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 go hang out. But uh, my heart is to help equip the church in every area, and that doesn't just mean apologetics. That would mean you know across the board. Um, but but this is obviously a vital part of what's uh, what's going on. So really appreciate you all being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Okay, great. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure that you follow us and give us a rating wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.